Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I also hope that it challenges you. And I want you to know that we are in our year in the greatest commandment, looking at this great commandment from Jesus to love God and to love people. And so I hope more than anything that this encourages you to love God and to love the people around you in a more holistic way. I also hope that you have some people around you to talk through some of these things with. And if you don't, we would love to see you at one of our Sunday gatherings or in one of our Restore groups. You can get all that information on our website at RestoreAustin.org. I hope you enjoy the message. Thanks. Good morning, guys. How are we? That was a good one. Awesome. Uh, just how I'd like to start. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. And uh, it's a good morning, though it is freezing cold in here. Sorry about that. Just uh, try to put it out of your mind for a little bit. Um, this morning, we're going to be talking uh, a lot about a story that Jesus told about family. And so I thought it was only appropriate before I start to uh, show you a picture of my family. Maybe. There they are. Awesome. Yeah, that was us. We uh, actually took a, a vacation to, to a Banff in Canada this past summer and had a phenomenal time. Uh, but that's my son, Leo. He is a year and 20 months old, which uh, I learned, he's, he's our first child, that, he, uh, that the months make a big difference uh, when you're telling people how old your kid is. So he's a year and 20 months, for those of you who know what that means. Uh, for everybody else, he's almost two. And uh, yeah, I was telling Emily actually this week that uh, he's basically already in the like terrible two stage, you know, they call it, where he just screams at you and you're not really sure why and everything you try to do to communicate with him, communicate with him just kind of falls down. So uh, yeah, we're still having fun at this stage, uh, but he, he loves to laugh and, and, and play and, and weirdly enough, he likes to work. Like he loves to like put stuff away, take it out and then just put it right back. So, so it's pretty awesome to watch. And my wife, Emily, and I have been married for just shy of seven years. It'll be seven years this December. So it's, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, we're, uh, we're still waiting to have our first fight. I mean, it's just awesome. Oh, I, just kidding. I, I told you you had a kid, right? So, yeah, so, uh, but no, we, we've been married for almost seven years, and it's, uh, it's been amazing. Uh, I love my family. They're the best thing about my life. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad you get to, get to hear a little bit about them today. Uh, I'm curious, how many people in here today are married? Just curious. Okay, so good, quite a few. Cool, awesome. Um, so I'm curious if those of you who are married have ever experienced the terror of losing your wedding ring. Anybody? Yeah, a few? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, wow, two, a couple, wow. Both at the same time? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that happened to me about three or four months ago, and... Um, I think I did what most, most people would do, um, and that is not tell your spouse, right? And it's not like you're trying to hide it as much as you're just not quite sure that you've actually lost it, like lost, lost it. So I spent a good week or two just uh, digging through drawers, cleaning up my truck, and just, you know, she'd be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm looking for paperwork. It's fine. Nothing. And... Um, and yeah, I, I was pretty convinced that I lost it. You know, I, I usually keep it in like one or two places. Um, and, you know, I, like I take it off when I wash my hands. So it's like by the sink or like by the buffet when you walk in the door kind of thing. But it was nowhere to be found. And uh, so, yeah, so I just kind of kept that tucked away and tried to just keep on going. And I have actually a little silicone ring that I use when I work out. So I was just sticking that bad boy on there for a while. And... Um, and actually, one day, I come home, and uh, it's just waiting for me. 
on the buffet by the front door. And so I, so I'm, I'm honestly, immediately, I'm just relieved. I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, it's not lost. Awesome. And then I realized, oh, somebody put that there. And so Emma said, yeah, it was just, you know, clanging around in the dryer one day. And, and, uh, and so immediately I had this choice. I mean, because she doesn't know how long it's been gone, I don't think. So I can either say, cool, I didn't wear it today. Or I could tell her all about what was going on, and I lost it, and so, of course, I told her everything, and it was just a great moment of relief, just like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you found it, and, and she, I mean, was surprised that it was gone, that uh, I didn't say anything for a while, but also just glad that we had found it, and uh, so, you know, I got it back, and, you know, I was thankful that I had it, and, and it's not because it uh, because of its monetary value, right? Like it's this is actually it's a cheaper ring I got from James Avery when we got married, and uh, so it wasn't like oh my gosh, there's tons of money down the drain. It was because it's a symbol of something about my life, and it's a symbol of something important to me, my marriage. And similarly, Jesus is going to tell us a story today. We're going to read his story about some lost things, and how we should react when we find those lost things. Uh, if you saw earlier, we're, we're in our series on called Prodigals, where we're looking at the story of what's commonly called the prodigal son. And we think it, it probably could be a little bit of a different title, uh, maybe the prodigal father or just prodigals in general, because prodigal doesn't really mean what we think it means, like lost or wayward or you know, deviant or wild or something like that. It actually means something very different. It means recklessly extravagant or lavish and abundant. So we get the title Prodigal Son because the younger son in this scenario is uh, recklessly extravagant in his spending, in his, his wild living, as they say. And uh, we're going to take a look at uh, a part of the story um, that, uh, well, well, the story is essentially is in two acts. And last week, we talked about the first act with Zach, and we're going to talk about the second act today. Uh, but I want to set a little bit of the scene, a little bit of the background of, of what Jesus is really entering into when he talks, because context is so important here. So we're going to look in uh, Luke 15, verse 1. He spells it out for us. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Ugh, Jesus, come on, man, you're a rabbi. Why are you eating with the lowly? This is a common thing that Jesus did. He really, I would say, he enjoyed reaching out to those who the world thought were kind of on the bottom. And you see, there's essentially kind of two major groups uh, inside of, of, of this book, in the book of Luke, or at least in this chapter. They're the religious elites. They're the Pharisees, Sadducees, have many names or many groups. Um, but they're kind of like these, these insular little bubbles who kind of run the religious, um, religious government. And they're very, very self-focused. They, they very much love their power, like people in power typically do. And they really love putting laws out for everybody to follow. And more than just God's laws, like in the Bible, they add to those laws to place a, a, a heavier burden on the people so that they can come in and take something from the people um, to help relieve that burden. And 
So you have this side of the room, and then you have the tax collectors and notorious sinners. I love that, notorious sinners. I wonder what they were notorious about. Time doesn't really say. But we do know that tax collectors, actually, if you don't know anything about them, it's, it's really fascinating. They, at the time, tax collectors were um, typically Israelites or Jews who would go in and take taxes from other Jews because they were occupied by the Romans. So the Romans would say, hey, we have this threshold of taxes that we need from you people. Now you guys go and get them. And the way the tax collectors would actually make money and survive is by raising that tax just a little bit. They would take kind of skim off the top, essentially, for themselves. So as you can see, they were pretty hated and thought of as, as, uh, as traitors to their people. So one side, you have the religious elite, the religious, religious leaders, and the other side, you have those who are really hated and, and discriminated against, actually. And so this is, the, this is the world that Jesus is going to tell us the story of the prodigal son. But he actually doesn't start there, because there's three stories in this section. And two of them go together really well, and then, and then the first two, and then the prodigal son is kind of this longer story. So I want to give you a recap of those stories. We're not going to read them, but I'm just going to tell you what they're about. Essentially, Jesus says, um, if there's a shepherd, and he has 100 sheep, and if one of those sheep goes astray, will he not leave the 99 who are safe to go find the one? And when he does find that one, he picks it up, puts it on his shoulders, and rejoices and takes it back to the herd. And when he gets back to the herd, he calls to his friends and his family. He says, rejoice with me for what was lost is now found. And similarly, the second story is if there's a woman who has 10 coins, and and these coins are about a day's wage at the time, she's got 10 coins, if one of them goes missing, will she not tear apart her house to find that coin? And when she does find it, she rejoices. She calls out to her friends and family and says, rejoice with me, what was lost is now found. And Jesus says the same thing, the point of these two stories are the same. When something is lost... Uh, he says, uh, when, uh, so it is in heaven, sorry. So it is in heaven that when uh, the angels rejoice, when something that is lost, when someone is lost and they are found. That's the point of the stories. And then Jesus tells the longer story of the prodigal son. And the story is a father and two sons. So uh, something technical about that, because on the surface it's just like, cool, some stories, they move, great. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end, Right? But something technical, and I love details, so this, this is pretty fun when I learned this. Jesus is making a very clear um, uh, move with both the, the tax collectors and the sinners and with the religious leaders. Get this. He takes one out of 100, finding one out of the 100, to one out of 10, to one out of two. See that? Then he actually takes sheep, which are just property, just things you have, to an entire day's wage, to your family. Jesus is pulling us in. He's pulling those who, who are listening in and, and delivering uh, the, the, the crosshairs. He's pulling in the crosshairs so that you see the weight of what he's talking about. And so the first act of the story, the prodigal son, there's a father who has two sons, a younger son, asks for his inheritance, and he goes and lives wildly. He ends up broke. He loses all his money. He doesn't have uh, anywhere to live. And then there's a famine in the land. And he's got to figure out what he can do to survive this. So he says, you know what? I'm here slaving away for nothing. Why don't I just go back to my father who gave him this inheritance? Why don't I go back to him? Because he was a good 
uh, at least a good employer, so why don't I go back to him and see if, uh, if he'll maybe just hire me on. I want to be a son again. I don't, he, he can't let me be a son again. Maybe he'll just hire me on so I can have food in my stomach. And so he goes back, and before he even uh, returns home, his father runs out to him and reinstates him into the family, he embraces him. He gives him a robe and a ring and, and sandals on his feet, which are symbols for you're back in my family. And it is a beautiful story. And at the time, as the religious leaders would hear this, they would think, this is stupid, Jesus. Come on. You know the laws. This isn't right. This isn't how our society is supposed to work. But Jesus is making a very clear statement. He's doing something uh, wholly other than what the law required. It's amazing. And the story could end there. I mean, it really could. It'd be a beautiful story of redemption, but Jesus, knowing his audience, drives a little further, pushes down a little further into the second act. We're going to read it, verse 25. The verses are on the screen. Meanwhile, so while uh, the sun is going on, uh, while the the party is going on, I forgot to mention that. When the sun gets back, there's a huge party, and this is a really, really important detail. He throws a huge party for all the people around him, which is supposed to, you're supposed to kind of connect with that because the first two stories, right? Because there's rejoicing when what's lost is found. It's the same in this story. So while this party is going on, verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of his servants what was going on. Your brother is back. He was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. That word safe return there, though it's written in Greek, it, it echoes to Hebrew, the Hebrew word shalom. Your, your, your younger brother, he's, he's returned. He's whole. He is at peace with us. And so you'd expect the older brother to say, what? My, my younger brother, he's here? He's not dead? Oh my gosh, I'm sure he was dead. We get to see him again. Oh my, does dad know? Is dad in the party? Oh my gosh, let's go inside. Let's go see him. But that's not at all what happens. Verse 28, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. We'll pause there because that needs some unpacking. So it, on the surface, it might look like, hey, he's just pouting. I'm just not going into this party. Y'all do your thing. I'm doing mine. Maybe I'll go back and work the fields. But that is not at all what's happening. In fact, there's actually a parallel here because in the first act of the story, when the younger son goes and asks for his inheritance from his dad, it was a shameful thing to do. He could have been punished by the law. He could have been beaten because of, of how he was treating his father. And so this older brother, in the same way, by not going in, by refusing to go to the party, is essentially shirking his duties as an older brother. And it would have been something that could have been equally as as punishable. Because at that time, the older brothers were the hosts of the party. They were seen as the the logistic detail keepers, making sure that uh, that everybody had what they needed. They didn't run out of food, they didn't run out of wine, that um, everybody was safe, that, you know, Aunt Ruth got a ride home on the donkeys and, you know, whatever. Everybody's, everybody's in good status and good order so that the father, the patriarch of the family, could celebrate with his guests. He could have a good time and entertain them. So by not going in, he's essentially making a statement. And so his father could come out. He actually could technically just command him. Just get that boy in here now and get to work. But he doesn't. 
What does it say? He goes out and he begs him. It's an amazing thing for him to do. And so this next part, after, after the father goes out to beg him, is really, really crucial for us, okay? Because this, this gives us, uh, reveals the most about what the older brother was thinking. It says this in verse 29. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once, uh, never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? Mm, there's a lot in there. You can almost hear the frustration and the anger, the entitlement there. The first part, he says, all these years I've slaved for you. He literally sees himself as a slave to his father. He sees himself as working not for his family or for himself or for the wealth of his family, but for that guy, his father. He says, I never refuse to do anything you ask me to do. You can almost hear that entitlement, right? I've done it all. I did everything. I've met the mark. You owe me. You owe me a young goat, at least. And I wonder, how often do we think like that? God, you, I mean, I, you owe me. I deserve some blessing here, God. I'm really not that bad. In fact, I do a lot of good stuff. Heck, I mean, I'm a pastor, God. I work for you all the time. I'm here every week. I come here early. I set up a chair down. God, I deserve something good. Maybe for you, if you're not a pastor, it's, uh, I, you know, I pay my taxes. I don't honk at people when they cut me off. I don't cheat on my spouse. I deserve some blessing here, God. I deserve to be kind of happy. Hmm. It's interesting. And the other thing he says about the goat, this one is another technical thing that's really fascinating. So if you notice, the father kills the fattened calf when the younger son returns, right? And that's to celebrate with everyone around. Celebrate with the family. Bring in the neighbors. Bring in your friends. This is incredible. We all need to rejoice in this. And remember the first two stories, what do they do uh, when their lost items are found? They rejoice with those around them. And so the young goat is seen as something very different because it's just for a few people. He even says it there. You didn't give me a young goat for me and my friends. Maybe he's got some other older brother types, right? Maybe they just sit around and think about all of, the, uh, all of the things that their, their fathers owe them. It's interesting. His mindset is very different. And the Pharisees hearing this at the time would probably see that Jesus is kind of making a, them uh, into a target. Jesus is really saying, like, you guys in your little insular group who make up all the rules and try to put the burden on the people, you want it for you. You want good things for yourself but I'm here that we can have good things for all of us and we can celebrate this together. And you see, the Pharisees believed that God owed them. They followed all the laws, even added some more. God, you should be doing what we need. You should free us from Roman occupation. And they missed the point, uh, the heart of God. To bring in those who are lost, to bring in those who are in need. Jesus said it elsewhere that I'm not here for the healthy, I'm here for the sick. And they stopped believing that at some point. They made it all about themselves. 
And the last key here, I think this is the biggest one to understand what the older brother is thinking. He says this, four words, ready? This son of yours. That might just seem like a fancy way to say something, but really what he's saying is, if he's your son, I'm not. Here's the line in the sand, Dad. Either we follow the rules, we know what we need to do, and everybody's happy, and, you're, and I'm your son, or you're doing this ridiculous thing that a society, in a society that'll never work, giving grace to those who don't deserve it, and he's your son. He's saying, I'm done with this family if this is what family is. And I imagine, if I was Jesus in this story, I would probably, that'd be where I turned the father's, uh, his, uh, his, his frustration. Like, ah, oh, and then the father said, you know what, fine, get out of here. Right? But he doesn't do that. The father is still prodigal. He's still recklessly loving to his older son. He says this, verse 31. Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead. And he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. What the older brother believed, what the Pharisees believed about God, uh, was their downfall, was their mistake. Now, earlier I told you the story about the, the wedding ring. Now, let me tell you one thing I never once thought when I couldn't find my ring. Man, I'm not married anymore. Man, I hope Emily doesn't find out. I find that thing before she does and... You know, it's, it, I never once question my marriage, and obviously you know why. Because what I believe about my relationship transcends the circumstances, whether or not I have a ring on my finger. And the same thing goes for both of these brothers. What they believe about their relationship to the Father transcends their circumstances and what they want or what we don't want. And they miss that. On the outset, it's easy to see that, that, that their, their prodigality, I guess you could say, that their desire to either live wildly or their desire to follow all the rules was their mistake, but there was something so much deeper, and that is what they believed about their father. And what they believed about their identity in the family. And so you'd expect in this story for Jesus to have more to say. Be, there'd be some kind of resolution. But Jesus so masterfully gives us and gives the Pharisees and the tax collectors and sinners the most incredible cliffhanger ever. There is literally no more verses. It literally just ends, they move on, and there's another story. And I think it's on purpose. I think Jesus is saying, here's a mirror, look into it. This is you that I'm talking about. And I think the point that the Pharisees are supposed to obviously walk away with is whether or not they're okay with this father, this, this God, um, being the one who makes the rules or not, and whether they are okay living in this family, 
that is nothing but open arms. And I think the question is the same for us today. And that's where I want to end this morning. I want us to spend a good chunk of time reflecting on what do you believe about your relationship with the Father? What do you believe God is to you? Who he is for you? Are you waiting for, uh, for God to give you something, to bless you? Does he owe you? Or do you think he's holding you back? He's killing all the fun and you want to do your own thing. Is he the most important thing to you? And is, is your own very identity marked by your belief in him as your father? A father who will never let you go. A father who though you deserve um, to be left out because of sin, brings you right back in. Who wants you in this family? Because if you believe that, something about your life should be different. And something about the way you bring in those who are on the outside should be different. We should rejoice together when those who are lost are found. Amen? So the band's going to come back up. We're going we're to sing one more song. And um, I asked them to sing a specific song this morning, which, you know, being a worship pastor, there's a lot of those specific songs I love to sing. But um, this song's called Lean Back. It's not, it's not by Fat Joe. It's, uh, <laughs> it's by a church in D.C., actually. But um, some of the words in this song say, I will lean back in the loving arms of a beautiful father. And I will breathe deep and know that he is good. He is a love like no other. And I want you to take this time, sing it, don't sing it, but reflect in this time and, and really think through what you believe about God. Maybe you've had a hard week. Maybe you've had a hard month, hard year. Maybe you're not sure where you are in your faith. But I know this God is calling out to you. God wants you. He loves you. I'm going to pray for us, and I'd love for you to just soak, take it in. We live busy, fast-paced lives, I know. I have a hard enough time. I work for a church. Just getting, getting aside, putting the time aside to, to be alone with the Lord, and maybe this is, this is time for you to do it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your encouragement to us. God, I thank you that you are not afraid to speak the truth to us. God, that you're warning for, for us who believe that morality can save us. God, that, that your love is in that warning. God, for those of us who, who run astray, God, you long to see us come home. God, I thank you that in your family there's grace and peace. God, that we who are dead can come back to life. We can experience joy in your truth. Spirit, I ask this morning as we, as we sing the song together, God, that you would restore in our souls nearness to you. And God, if there's, if there's anyone here, God, who, who doesn't understand that, who doesn't believe 
in the nearness. God, I pray that you would break through. God, I pray that you would tear down walls, that you would be felt in this place. God, no matter what we did this last week, no matter what guilt or shame follows us, that you remind us that your love for us will never die. It is immutable. It will never change.
better than the things that we are chasing, the things that are of this world, the things that we really want, the things that we don't feel maybe good enough to have. You are better than all of those things, and we don't have to do anything to earn it except say yes. Say yes to you and yes to your love. Thank you, God, that it is that easy. Thank you that you love us that much to make it that easy, that you did the hard part for us. That any rules or regulations that we are putting on being with you is not from you. Because your love says, if we love you and if we believe in you, you are with us in everything that we are walking through. And I pray that we can think about that this week. We can think about the things that be keeping us from being fully loved by you and fully fully loving you. God, thank you that your love is easy and that it is so reckless and that it loves us so much. Thank you so much for who you are. It's in your name I pray. Amen.